Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast. I have some cool stuff to talk about and a fun interview. And I'm also on Instagram now, so if you guys are into that stuff, just, uh, you know, I'll leave the link in the description, but it's just retro RGB as usual. And uh, I think it's kind of neat because I don't like to spam other platforms with pictures, but I see a bunch of neat nerdy stuff that I'd like to share. So I figure I'll give it a try. And uh, if nobody follows me, whatever, <laughs> it's free, so who cares? But anyway, on to the news. First up, I posted a video about how to check the components that are inside your RGB SCART cables. Um, and then about a day after I posted it, I realized I left out something really important. So I had to delete it and repost it. Um, I don't know if that was just my OCD kicking in or if the, the things that I had forgotten to put in were really that important. But either way, um, you know, if you're really concerned about the stuff that's inside your cables, definitely maybe just give it another watch, leave it on in the background or something. But I basically just um, reiterated the type of caps that you would need, as well as what to do if there's a sink stripper or other some other kind of circuit in there. Um, but hopefully this stuff is starting to get helpful because there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, and especially with the whole cable thing a few weeks ago, there's a lot of panic. Um, and it's really, you know, all these things aren't that big of a deal as long as you know what to do and, and how to make the very quick repairs. Um, and obviously, just um, to put this out there, I've been speaking to the two major cable manufacturers, uh, Retro Gaming Cables and Retro Console Accessories. And, um, you know, as of now, all of the cables that are going out should be perfect. I mean, I'm crazy, so I'm going to test mine anyway, because I wouldn't be retro RGB if I didn't. But, um, you know, it, from now on, you should be fine. There were people going back and forth saying, I just got one last month that had the wrong resistor. Or I got one, you know, two months ago that had the right resistor. I don't really know. Maybe uh, maybe there was old stock left over. Maybe somebody misunderstood what they were looking at, um, which is exactly why I made the video, because it's very easy to pop open the SCART head, see the component, and think you have the wrong thing, but it actually has the correct component in there. I definitely go over that in the in the video as well. So, um, But yeah, uh, let me know what you guys think of it. Uh, and I've been posting all my videos to Patreons first so that they could kind of give some feedback. And I really liked that. Um, I actually have been able to make some pretty important changes as a result. So once again, you know, I hate to sound like a sleazy car salesman, but uh, you know, if you just donate a dollar, um, you could have early access to all this stuff and give good feedback. Um, you know, it's always appreciated because these videos aren't, aren't just for me. They're for everybody to use, hopefully. But anyway, links are in the description. Next, Renee from DB Electronics posted a follow-up to his flashcart blog post. And this time he actually showed the work on how he came to the conclusions he did. And I guess he thought it was a good way to clarify his findings and, uh, and just show that it wasn't a random theory. Uh, but unfortunately, the trolls just went nuts with it again. And I don't think people seem to realize 
exactly why that's a problem, and hopefully by now they do, because misinformation was absolutely spread everywhere, and then it got picked up by Nintendo Life, who did a post about it, as well as a bunch of YouTubers that just used it for clickbait, which just enrages me. So uh, Renee and I had a bit of fun and posted our own clickbaity video as a result of it, because I, I guess it was just at least my way of sticking my middle finger up in the air towards all the trolls that you know, almost ruined this for people, and now there's a whole group of people out there that probably think ROM carts are bad. So, uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe it wasn't the most mature thing to do, but fuck it. Um, yeah, so the, once again, my, my view on this has not changed at all. Um, I thought it was a really well-written blog post. I think it's great that we're aware of this stuff. Uh, even though Crix's responses has been weird, he said he realized a lot of the things that Renee pointed out, and they're going to be corrected on future revisions. Uh, and I'm still going to use all my ROM carts. Uh, I'm just going to be aware of what it is that I'm doing. So, you know, using it on a Genesis I bought for 20 bucks that I could probably fix if it breaks, no problem. Using it on my CDX, eh, probably going to be a little more careful. So, I don't know, I'll leave it up to you guys to decide, but hopefully you get a kick out of the video at least. There's a new update to the Wavebeam color palette. That's the custom Nest palette made by Naked Arthur, which is basically, uh, it's something that was based off of his interpretation of what the color should look like, and not, not like a side-by-side -side comparison with the CRT. And I absolutely love it. I think he did a great job. And um, I've been playing on my Analog NT Mini, and depending on the game, I keep switching back and forth between my favorite Firebrand X palette and this updated Wavebeam one. Um, but, I mean, that's, uh, I've said before a million times, that's the great thing about these, is there is no right way. It's whatever your eyes prefer. So I highly recommend people check them all out, and if you have advice where you could switch between them, uh, even a NES RGB, if you're able to flash the firmware on it, you're able to use all of these different ones. So definitely give it a chance if you have the ability to. Uh, but if not, even if you're curious, the link is in the description to the page where you could actually see side-by-side -side the different colors for each game. Someone on the Shmups forum has posted videos of a GC video installed into a Wii. And before I go any further, this isn't a finished product or something people could buy. This is just he manually uh, installed one into it, um, cut a hole on the side, and got it working. But he posted footage just to show what it could look like if there was a product. And while there's other people who have posted footage in the past, I just thought it would be cool to, to show everybody this. And uh, hopefully we'll be seeing a product like this for the Wii soon because uh, I think a lot of people prefer to use it on a flat screen, and going digital to digital would always be a better choice. A post was made on Nintendo's Japanese page that said they were no longer making the regular-sized new 3DS, so apparently they'll still be making the XL version, but not the normal-sized version, which obviously is spelling an end for the 3DS, unless new products are coming out in the future. But as of now, it looks like the uh, 2DS XL and the 3DS new 3DS XL are going to be the only ones you could purchase new for a while. Um, maybe they'll have a follow-up product, maybe not, but I'm interested to see what they do, especially because they have a few brand new games announced that aren't coming out until the end of the year. So hopefully they'll continue production and not can uh, cancel production of the console, but still have new games coming out. I guess that wouldn't really make sense, but I guess we'll see. The team behind RetroArch has just started a Patreon for an FPGA-based product. 
Unfortunately, there's not much more information on the Patreon yet. Um, I, for one, would love to know how they plan about uh, to go about doing this. Um, are they reverse engineering each console in RetroArch and making kind of like what Kevin Horton is doing? Um, is it just an embedded, uh, almost like a system on a chip? Uh, I have a million questions that I would love to know the answers to. But for now, if you're interested, check out the link. And uh, maybe I can get one of those guys on for an interview to talk to them about exactly what their plan is. There's now a ROM cart available for the older TI-99 computers, which is absolutely awesome. Um, I love things like this because uh, even though some of those computers are still working and, and running well, you know, trying to get the cartridges, the disk drives, everything else, um, you know, all these things are going to start to die off sooner rather than later. So having ROM carts to keep all those things alive is very cool. So anybody with a TI-99, definitely look into it because it seems like a, a good buy. Retro USB has announced that their wireless controller is now in stock and ready for purchase. I already ordered mine, so hopefully it'll come in soon and I'll be able to do some testing on it. But they claim that the lag is as low as possible. So with Bluetooth, um, there is latency, um, and it is more than a wired controller would be. But it's really it really depends on the console you're using it and it, the game itself to see if you'd really notice it. Personally, on an old NES, I could tell when there's latency on um, the 8-bit Do, 8-bit Do Bluetooth controllers. Um, and it's not bad at all, but I kind of realize it's there, especially when you're playing on a flat screen, because now you have video latency and controller latency. But on newer consoles that are designed with Bluetooth in mind and designed uh, knowing that there's controller latency, I don't notice at all. It seems fine. So I think for older consoles, having as low latency as possible is really important because the games were designed for zero uh, video and zero controller latency and anything, uh, anything added would kind of mess with the gameplay. So I'm really curious to see how it works, um, and I, I really want to put it through its paces, and hopefully I could have some of the, the Brooklyn hardcore gamers up here to check it out too, because they would be able to tell even more than I would. It looks like someone on the Sega 16 forums has found a copy of the Super Strike Trilogy for Sega CD, and that was a game that was announced at E. E3 in 1995, and it included uh, enhanced editions of Desert Strike, Jungle Strike, and Urban Strike. Uh, I actually loved those games too as a kid, and supposedly it had extra content um, and a few other things on there. I would assume better audio, because Sega CD games all kind of did that. Um, and they uh, posted it for people to use. Uh, I haven't had a chance to try it yet, but I'm really looking forward to seeing how it plays and seeing how complete it actually is. So anybody that's interested, check out the link down below. Atari just posted some more information about the Atari Box, the upcoming console, and they really didn't show too much. They showed that there'll be two editions, one that kind of has the retro feel with the wood grain look to it, and another has a, a red bezel to it. And they didn't really show anything other than a bunch of USB ports and um, an HDMI port. So I'm not sure if they're doing this on purpose just to continue teasing it or if they haven't really gotten anywhere in production. But no price, release date, or anything else, just more teasers. The Neo Geo game Windjammers will be re-released on the PlayStation 4 and PS Vita on August 29th. So it's pretty cool to see some of the, the best of the Neo Geo library still living on. I know uh, Cousin Scott loves Windjammers. I like it a lot, but I kind of suck at it, so I can't enjoy it as much as he does. But hopefully I'll get a chance to try out the PS4 version and see how it works. Next, Crix just announced that his Game Boy X series of ROM carts should be released around August. 
And basically, it's moving his Game Boy ROM car over to his X series, X3, X5, and X7, each with a different feature set, kind of like the Intel processors. So the higher the number, the uh, you know the more features you get with it. So uh, it looks great. Um, I'm definitely going to get an X7 to test as soon as it's released, and uh, more details are in his blog post in the description. Next, Alex, aka Arcade TV, has just released the design files for his Pi to Genesis USB hub. So basically, you could buy one of those Sega Genesis USB 2.0 hubs, rip out the guts, and use his board design to install a Raspberry Pi 3 pretty smoothly. Um, it looks like a really awesome design, and I can't wait to get one just to play with. Um, also, this one will output 15 kilohertz RGB, so it could actually be like a mini Raspberry Pi Genesis. And I haven't talked to Alex in a while, so I gotta try to get him on here one of these days. He's had a lot of great inventions over the years and shared pretty much everything with the community for free. So I'd really love to pick his brain and see how he gets started with this stuff. But for now, if you're interested, the link is in the description. Woozle just uploaded a video of a prototype HDMI Game Gear board. So it's based off of all the work he's done for the Game Boy Advance, but he installed it in a Game Gear to see if it would work. And it looks like with some minor changes and some software tweaks, it will. So this is still just a prototype phase. He still has to launch the Game Boy Advance version, which hopefully is still on track for end of summer. But it's very cool to see that uh, he's continuing his work onto other handhelds, because there's so many great games on those old consoles, where especially with the Game Gear, the screen's in my opinion at least, didn't age well at all. So now there's many different ways to play them on a TV, and I can't wait to try out his HDMI version. There's actually two things I forgot to talk about last week. I have no idea how I skipped over them. I think I just, my eyes must have glossed right over in my uh, my notes. But the first one was um, Omar, who goes by Bach on the SMS Power Forums, and one of the developers of um, Wonder Boy A Dragon's Trap remake, has released a Rayman prototype for Super Nintendo. And while it's not complete, in fact, uh, when you turn it on, it just goes directly into the level. There's no title screen. There's no enemies or music. You just kind of run back and forth. It's very cool to see what it would have looked like on the SNES, and it's really impressive. So who knows, maybe it wouldn't have run as good with you know, a screen full of enemies and status bars and stuff, but it's really awesome that they found that and we saw what could have been. Um, I actually really like Rayman for the Jaguar, which is weird because, you know, the Jaguar doesn't have too many great games, but I would have loved to have seen what it did on the SNES. So anybody that wants to check it out, the link is in the description. And the other thing I missed from last week was somebody hooked their Game Boy camera up into a telescope and was able to take pictures of the moon. And while on the one hand, you know, whatever, it's kind of useless, I still thought that was freaking awesome and I really wanted to share it. So hopefully uh, you guys are as amused by that as I was. And of course, the extra pictures and the links are down below. Next, HD Retrovision just added a form on its website so you could submit 240p compatibility info. So basically, if your TV is compatible with 240p through the component inputs and processes it correctly, not as 480i, um, if you wouldn't mind just adding your TVs to the list, and that way we have one, uh, one location with all compatible TVs compiled, because I think information like this is helpful for everybody. And lastly, tonight is the monthly Retro Roundtable podcast. So that's today, Wednesday, July 19th, and it's going to be at 8 p.m. Eastern Time with myself, the HD Retrovision guys, 
uh, Voltar, and of course, DB Electronics, Renee. So I'm sure we'll have a lot of stuff to talk about this time. So tune in. Um, we do it live, and that way anybody who wants to ask us anything or wants to jump up in the chat can do so. We always monitor the chat as well, so we try to get to everybody's questions, but should be an interesting one tonight. Okay, on to the Q&As. Uh, I got a question for you guys this time, an easy one, I think. Um, but the the winner of this month's giveaway actually politely declined. His setup is already perfect the way it is, and rather than just take some cables and not use them, he gave them or told me to hold on to them and give them to the next person, which is really, you know, that's an, a very awesome thing to do. So thank you again to him for, for doing that, and not just taking them and throwing them on eBay or something. But I'm still kind of new to the Patreon thing, so could you guys, how do you feel I should handle this? Should I just do another drawing and give it to the next person? Should I do that privately? Should I do that on air like last time? Um, should I just wait till next month and give them away next month? Uh, I just, like I said, I'm kind of new to this stuff and I'd like to know what the community wants and what other people are doing. So please let me know how you'd like me to handle it and hopefully I'll just uh, have that done by next week for you. Next is a question from Dopefish. He asked, on the topic of preserving consoles, it bothers me that a lot of the optical drive replacements for consoles requires that you remove the original drive. Wouldn't it be possible for them to coexist or at least have a switch? I've been interested in a lot of them, but for me it's important that the console retain its original functionality. Well, there's actually two answers to that. The, uh, the one for the Sega Saturn called the Satiator? I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. That's one from Professor Abrasive, and that plugs into the back of your Saturn, and it won't affect any other functionality. There's no cutting, there's nothing else. But the good news is, all the other optical drive emulators that I've, I've seen don't require any cutting at all, and it's 100% reversible. And on top of that, it's actually kind of easy. When I did the one for Dreamcast, it took about a minute and a half, and it just unplugs, uh, you know, unplug the CD-ROM drive, stick it in bubble wrap to preserve it, plug it, uh, the new thing in, and you're done. So while I'm, I'm definitely turning into a preservationist, uh, I'm actually a huge fan of the way that these guys do it because you don't cut a console and you don't even have to remove any electronic components. It's really just plug and play. So that way, if you did ever want to put its original functionality back, it's just a few screws and it's perfect. Not only that, but now you also really preserve the life of that CD-ROM drive because it's not even being powered on. So there's zero wear and tear on it. Uh, so I hope that answered your question properly. I mean, the direct answer to your question is, I guess the only one that I know of is the one coming out for the Saturn, but the rest of them, you don't have to cut anything. So in my opinion, it's still pretty awesome. Next, Ludo posted a question inside the Patreon uh, app, but I figured I would answer it here in front of everybody because I thought it was a pretty good question. Um, it was in regards to the oscilloscope captures that Steve from HD Retrovision had sent me that I used in that How to Check Your Cables video. Um, and I'll put the scope picture up here for you guys to reference, but I'll, I'll read his questions as well. He had two. First of all, can you can please confirm what defines the valid ranges? Um, so the valid range that we're aiming for in all of these tests is just whatever uh, whatever video standard you're aiming for. So in the example in the video, it was um, NTSC video. So NTSC 75 ohm standard 
which is basically the same that you'd find on composite video. Um, and that voltage is 212 to 949 millivolts peak to peak. Um, and that way, uh, we, you try to pick components that'll land right in the middle of that. And that will allow for some variances. So, for example, uh, it's suggested to use a 470 ohm resistor. But if you end up buying ones with 10% tolerance instead of 1% tolerance, um, the fact that it's putting it right in the middle of that spec means that there's a, it compensates for that extra swing if there is any. Um, also, he asked, why does the yellow line values change depending on what components are put after it? So just quickly in the capture here, the, uh, the yellow line represents the voltage coming out of the console, and the blue line represents the voltage going out of the SCART pin under a full load, and full load is everything powered on and running. Um, and the best example I could come up with, the best analogy, is basically um, when a load is put on the system, it affects the entire signal start to finish all the way back. Um, and imagine like towing a boat with your car. When you clamp the hook around the trailer, there's a small change to the way your car sits. But once you start driving, the entire car is affected, not just the hook around the boat trailer. So, you know, every time you clamp something on, everything in the chain starts to get affected by it. So that's why you look for uh, mid-voltages on both of these things. But of course, us as retro gamers, the bottom line is we just care about the output, and the only way to, to really measure that is with an oscilloscope. So hopefully I'll have another video coming out if I ever can buy one of those things and, uh, and really show how exactly to do that. I certainly would never recommend people go out and buy a scope just to test their cables because you could just match the components as I, as I showed in the video. But yeah, great questions, and I just wanted to address that with everybody. And lastly, for the Q&As, I got a lot of questions about the EverDrive stuff and the voltages, and they were all great questions, but I think they were all answered in the uh, video I did with Renee, because while I was trying to make that funny and, and you know, a bit teasing people, that it did actually answer everybody's questions, and everything we said was valid. Everything Renee said was valid. Everything I said was kind of a joke, but um, hopefully everybody's questions could be answered with that. Okay, that's it for this week. Up next, I have an interview with Arturo, um, who runs arcade tournaments and just an overall fun guy to hang out with. So hopefully you guys like his story, and uh, if you're near any of the arcade tournaments he's involved in, I highly recommend showing up and just checking it out and seeing what it's like. But as always, any comments or criticism, post down below, and I'll see you guys next week. What's up, guys? I am here with Arturo from Team Spooky. What's up, man? What's up, Bob? Good to see you. Glad you're here. Yep. Gl glad to be in the warehouse. It's actually like my fourth or fifth time here, but um. Yeah, yeah, it's a fun place. Yeah, but, but like first time on your show, man. Like, thanks for having me as a guest, man. I'm really honored, and I, I love the work you do. Thank you. I'm glad you could be here, and you are the first official guest in the office. So hopefully next time we'll have better cameras. Thanks to you, actually. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I. I so much rather do in-person interviews. Now I, I know I can't fly all over the world, but of course. Like, it's so much more fun having a beer, just kind of chilling. Yeah, man. Like it, it just happened that we that we actually ended up knowing mutual friends of ours, and it turns out that in, in New York City, like there is like a bunch of RGB heads. Like yeah. they, they know each other through like one association at best. Yeah, yeah. and it's cool to have like uh, both worlds you know, coming together now, because, um, you know, you do the arcade stuff, but um, mm -hmm. people who watch the podcast have actually seen you on camera once before, mm -hmm. uh, in the Too Old, Too Furious, when I walked in front of the camera like an asshole, that was yeah, it's all camera. good. It's all good, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but it's all good, but, like, I find between, like, um, the arcade stuff and the fighting game space and RGB, 
there's definitely like a lot of crossover there because like you know a lot of these guys a lot of these guys there's a segment of the fighting game community that plays on retro games on retro consoles which is pretty much what you do so like there, there's definitely like a huge amount of crossover like in fact like um i, I was at evolution 2017 this year i know i told you this earlier but they had like a huge retro section and the minute i went over there everybody was like oh my god art 202 furious next week's gonna be crazy like you know make sure you shout out cruise cruise min bob and, and, and like all those guys out there you guys are doing god's work yeah, yeah. Well, for people that aren't familiar with you, um, why don't you just start by telling what Team Spooky is and what you guys do? Oh, so so like so, Team Spooky is a brand that um that specializes in uh, fighting game broadcasts. We've been in the space for like about nine years or so, and we're, we're pretty much um one of the big um first streams on uh, Twitch. Even before it was called Twitch TV, we've been with the platform Justin since. TV was it before? Yeah, we've been yeah. on the platform since it was called uh, Justin TV. Literally, it was just four of us. It was uh, me, Min, Nerjosh, Spooky. We were just recording poverty fighting games out of a basement, right? Like, um, so, so we just we decided to record sets for fun. Our like our video production started when we started uh, capturing arcade boards. Um, we, we we bought this game called Arcana Heart, which is outputting over a VGA RGB. So we were just recording it through a DVD recorder back then, and it was just yeah. us playing games in our basement. Fast forward to now, um, at that time, um, Vic said that he wanted to break into the fighting game community. And me, like, I'm a long-time player. I'm 34 years old. So I've been in the community for, like, about 20 years or so. And this is before streaming really started to take off. Oh, yeah. So at that time, at that time, when I met Vic, he was like, yo, he hit me up and he was like, yo, like, I'll sponsor you to go to events and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Can you help me get in touch with all the tournament organizers because I think streaming is taking off? Mm-hmm. So this is, like, about 2000, 2009, 2010 or so. So I, I introduced him to all the TOs, and they loved they loved him and his brand so much that they started, well, like not only him but the rest of us. We all started doing a lot of the major fighting game events in the space, whether it comes to retro stuff, so all like the modern like fighting games, Street Fighter, Tekken, Mortal Kombat, whatever, whatever. And now it's to the point where now like a lot of a lot of the guys I work with are now producing Evolution, which is the largest fighting game tournament in, in the entire world. And now Spooky himself is working for XSplit, so hmm. it's really come a long way. <laughs> Man, that's that's a big deal. It's incredible, yeah, it's incredible. So, what um, what tournaments are you involved in, and what's what's your involvement in it? I mean, I know some of them you're you're there as a guest, but um, I guess uh, the one that I attended, Too Old, Too Furious, that's mm-hmm. something that's run completely by you guys, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so like as far as Too Old, Too Furious goes, um, I'm I'm pretty much the streamer for it. So, so uh, so I work with Cruz, um, actually works with me directly he brings like a bunch of um old school retro equipment to capture from arcade cabinets so he brings the uh jamma to uh rgb transcoders he was the first guy that exposed me to the ossc and he exposed me about you um men men pretty much handles the uh, tournament organizing part of it mm-hmm. and he also brings extra equipment like he brings pvms and uh bvms and um monitors and arcade boards and all this stuff and it's really a community effort like you know Two Two Furious, like even though like it's ran by uh, me and Min, it it's really a community thing because you know Cruz, as I said, he comes through with a bunch of equipment. A lot of the players come through with like super guns and like PVMs and BVMs. A lot of the yeah. players bring their own yes. old school monitors, right? Yes, I saw yes. that. I was so fucking impressed when I saw people were lugging their own PVMs in there so they could game on real equipment. That shit makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's definitely not something that's happened overnight. Like you know, th- this happened over like the last couple of years because. Two Two Furious has been around for like about like five years or so, mm-hmm. and back then we were just doing it on regular composite CRTs. It's only like in the last couple of years, like you know, finding out like about you guys and stuff, mm-hmm. 
that we really started to get like more broadcast monitors, more PVMs, etc., stuff like that. So the, the version of Two of Two Furious you saw that was five years in the making. It took us five years to get to that point. It wasn't always like that. Yeah, yeah it's a lot of hard work, but it really paid off. Mm-hmm. So for people that want to compete, um, what exactly do they have to do? Is it literally just sign up? Or yeah, so to... so so um so it's literally just show up to a next level. Um, it, it's going to be like this Saturday. It's going to be so next level is like a. a... What would you call it? Like, um, I don't want to call it a streaming place. So, but... so, so next level. So next level is a hybrid console slash arcade slash card game cafe. So, like, it, it fills multiple niches. So, so if you want to play card games and you want to play card games in Brooklyn, that's a spot that you want to go to. If you want to buy like um stuff for all these card games, whether it's Magic, Yu Gi Oh, or like various card games. Right, right. If you want to go, if, if you want to go there to uh, play fighting games, so that's pretty much like the default spot for all hardcore fighting game competition in, in New York. I mean, actually, the, the, one of the ways that we got started is, is because I have a 20-year relationship with one of the owners of Next Level, Henry Sen. Have, have you ever been to Chinatown Fair before? No, no. I just did a little write-up about it. Oh, so, so, um, so to give you like a little bit of, of background. So Chinatown Fair, like it's an arcade that's been around for like about 50 years or so. Very famous arcade. Yeah, very famous. had the documentary very, on it. Yeah, yeah. very famous arcade. So pretty much anybody who is a top player from the East Coast in the fighting game space, they all got their start there. Whether it's like Justin Wong, Chris G, myself, Eddie Lee, Sanford Kelly, the, the name goes on and on and on. So so like um, all this was facilitated by Henry Sen, who was the uh, manager of Chinatown Fair at the time, and this was during the period of um, 1997, probably a couple of years even earlier than that, until like uh, 2011, 2012, when the owner sold... Um, the current Chinatown Fair, mm-hmm. right? So, so like, um, so when that place like um, pretty much moved on, he opened his own spot called the uh, Next Level, which is based out of Brooklyn. So he took all of his arcade know-how to the new store in uh, Brooklyn, and he understood the uh, value of, of streaming and broadcasting tournaments. So that's where we broadcast like pretty much our marquee tournament series. That's called Next Level Battle Circuit, and that's uh, that's pretty much a tournament based around fighting games that we've been broadcasting for like about nine years on Twitch TV. Mm-hmm. And uh, Twitch likes like our event so much that we've been front page on Twitch for nine years. So we were literally able to uh, build like a platform around that and you know and build the entire East Coast fighting game community. And Henry Sen's a guy who loves fighting games. So he's committed he's committed into seeing like the venue through and really having a place mm-hmm. where all these players can uh, play and level up. And what's been happening is, like, in the last couple of years or so, like, a lot of these players that come to my events every Wednesday, these guys are being picked up by major esports organizations, like, for salaries and stuff. So, it wasn't always like this, so it's really come, like, a long way. No, this is a very new thing. Yeah, it's a very new thing. So, it's pretty much bigger than me, like, you know, just streaming. You know, it's, it's a platform for these guys to really sell themselves. So just to, to yeah. draw the, the family tree, if you will, um, Team Spooky, uh, for at least these specific events that we're talking about, um, collects the hardware and, and sets everything up, all the streaming and all the promotion. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And then you team up with different venues, yes, places yes. that you can go into. Next Level's the place in Brooklyn. Um, mm-hmm. And for the record, for anybody that knows about this stuff, there's actually street parking around there. Yeah, there is. For people around the world that haven't been to certain areas of Brooklyn, that's usually impossible. But yeah, you actually, you, yeah, you, actually, you actually came to the new spot where there's parking now because yes. now there's parking, yes. there's a barbecue area in the backyard, there's a, second, yeah. there's a basement level. So um, the thing the thing that strikes me about both of these are um, 
we didn't have this as kids. No. Ever. Never, never. And I know, I know so many people, I am not one of them, by the way, but mm-hmm. I know so many people that are amazing at fighting games and mm-hmm. have the love for it in the way any athlete has the love for their sport. So, but the reason you don't see them is because there was literally no place for them to go other no. than their buddies. And people so. don't know that these types of events exist. Yeah, that's why. I mean, yeah. that's why I really wanted you on here because you know, and he's not uh, paying me to, to fawn over him or anything. Yeah, but I, no. I legit, <laughs> I walked into Too Old, Too Furious a couple of months ago, thinking because I'd seen, I'd seen some slap together tournaments. Before. Yeah, Goose is telling you. I remember Goose telling floored. you to come for months. Yeah, I mean, when Jose, so Jose and Ben from iFix Retro, Jose Cruz was, uh, I, I showed him last time in the setup where he was able to to split the output properly, yep. so there wasn't drawing too much current from each side, It was that alone was impressive, but when Jose told me to come, I'm like, I actually had something else to do that day, and I'm like, well, if Jose says come, I gotta come, because he wouldn't waste my time, mm-hmm. but I did not expect that, that was some cool shit, so the fact that I now have... Uh, so, uh, something that I could recommend to people mm-hmm. that I mean that's pretty mm-hmm. awesome and do you guys you don't just do mm-hmm. East Coast stuff right no no we, we pretty much cover the entire fighting game space nationwide so it's like you'll see us like in various countries like right now the um, the founder of Team Spooky um, Vic he works for Exploit and he's based out of the Philippines mm-hmm. so he does like a lot of like Asian based events he does like a lot of events in Philippines in, in Japan sometimes he goes to Europe and I cover mostly the uh, North America stuff. Although I'm East Coast based, there's quite a lot of times like I'm flying to West Coast, like East Coast, Midwest, various places in between. So if you've seen a fighting game event, like you've probably seen our work. That's pretty yeah. awesome. And how much does it cost on average to sign up for one of these things? So it, it's pretty cheap. Um, it's only like ten dollar. It's only ten dollar entry and a ten dollar wow, venue. Really cheap. Yeah, it's only ten dollar entry and ten dollar venue. You know, to go in and play like some. Um, some some arcade goodness on RGB monitors. Yeah, because yeah. that's that's the thing. Because um, you know, I was telling you about my friend. I'm gonna I'm gonna call him out loud. Jamal, I hope he's not Jamal. pissed at me. But Jamal, uh, we lived in Stanford, Connecticut together, and he walked into a bar when they had some low level tournament there one time, not knowing there was a tournament. Mm-hmm. And the dude that won, you know, he'd been playing all day. He was already mm-hmm. warmed up. He walked up and Boom destroyed up. him. <laughs> so, but the reason you don't see him out there is just the same reason you don't see so many of these people. Is because how do you you know how do you know this exists? So when I told yeah. him it was like no you know no bullshit legit equipment mm-hmm. and then I showed him the final setup with the two the sit down cab and everything oh cleared, yeah yeah so that, hopefully that, hopefully we'll get him there on on Sunday yeah, or that, Saturday yeah that cabinet was really sick just to give you like a little bit of history like about that cabinet so that cabinet was donated to us by the stream monsters of our stream um if you guys don't know we, we um we're on Team Spooky on Twitch with two zeros so the stream SP zero yeah yeah SP zero zero KY so. The stream monsters, they like what we're they like what we're doing so much. Who are the stream monsters? So, so, so the stream monsters are the people that watch my stream. We, okay. we, we call them stream monsters. Okay. Like that, that's the terminology. So the stream viewers, they like what we're doing so much that I said like, yo, like you want to see arcade cabinet inside next level, and they literally like got their money together to buy a head to head like off somebody in the East Coast, and it's been at that location for like about four years or so, which that's I think awesome. is it, which I think is really awesome because 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 that cabinet is there. I can do that. Was the catalyst for me learning like a lot, like about RGB stuff and things like that. That's because... really a testament to what you do. The fact that the people that watch you want to watch you on this. It's almost mm-hmm. like you're a stripper and they're buying you guys outfits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, nah. It's all good, man. But but then but then it was freaking amazing because not only like was I able to use it, like you know, Cruz would come by with his crew 
for, for VF, and you'll use it too. So, you know, yep. it's not only me getting use out of it, it's the whole community. It was able to blow it up. So yeah. I think that's awesome. That's yeah, it. me too. So how how did you personally get started in all this stuff? I mean, how did you go from being a kid in a place where there really wasn't much? I mean, did you grow up around New York? Yeah, yeah. Able so, to go to like all yeah. These? So so like so I was always born and raised in New York City. Like um, I was born in 1982, so I was really like around during the golden years of um retro fighting gaming games, yeah. uh, fighting games and retro gaming. My first game was actually Spy Hunter in uh, 1986. So oh, I love it. That was the game that um, that was the game that got me hooked as a kid. Like I would walk around, I would walk across the street and go to the store to my laundromat, and I'd be like, "Hey, this is a cool game, Spy Hunter," and I got addicted from then. Like I pretty much had the bug. I didn't start getting into it. Was tournament. Outrun in the lobby of a diner for me? <laughs> nice. I mean, that game's incredible. That game's incredible. So. So like so, I was always playing as a competitor. I, I was always playing, but like just for fun. And that was during the that was during the era where EGM, GamePro magazine, were like really like you know front and center, like in terms mm-hmm. of the gaming world. Because like you know there wasn't really a lot of internet access back then. Like I had internet because my dad went to college, so I was reading news groups. But for the most part, I wanted the info. I'd have to buy like these gaming magazines and stuff. And what, and then when I read them, like um. I grew up a couple of years past, you know, it was like 91. That was when the fighting game renaissance started taking place. So I would start reading like about like um, a lot of these guides for all the old school fighting games and stuff like that. And they would have, they would have listings there for tournaments and stuff. And that's when I first figured out about the tournament scene. Of course I was 11, so I couldn't really travel, but I would read, (laughs) but I would read like about like how like there were all like these amazing tournaments in California and the Midwest and stuff like that, right? And and like all, all, all these old school fighting game players that I know today on a first name basis would go to these events and win and blow it up. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. Like, I hope I get old enough to actually compete in these events someday. So fast forward to like around 96 or 98, I'm like 16. I find out about Chinatown Fair and I compete in a tournament there for Marvel vs. Capcom 1. And um, I think I got second place next to my um, teacher at the time, Eddie Lee. And once I was there at that tournament, I met Henry Sen, who's the founder of uh, Next Level. Mm-hmm. And this was like in 98. And he had told me like about the tournament scene and like about everything that was going on in the entire fighting game space. So after like that point, I started competing at other events since like 98 up until now. So it's really pretty much uh, changed my life. Like um, I met like a lot of contacts. Uh, I met a lot of cool friends, had a lot of cool memories. I've gone to places that I would have never imagined I would even went to like fighting games have sent me as far as Japan where I can see the mecha like not that many people can say that they've uh, done that yeah that's pretty amazing mm-hmm. so uh, so along the way like you know when I when I first started playing like you know I just wanted to play to play I didn't think I was going to be like a broadcaster or a streamer or anything like that and uh, and uh, along the way during the time while I was playing stuff in the mid 2000s that's where I met Spooky at uh, Chinatown Fair Mm-hmm. And, like, he was a person that played fighting games, but he played the underrepresented niche Japanese fighting games that nobody knows about. But we ended up give, being Give friend- one example of that. Okay, so... In that time period. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Tournament Fighters for Super Nintendo. Although it blew okay. up back in the day, and it was at the Blockbuster Championships in, in the 90s, people largely forgot about it. Mm-hmm. And we were still playing it, like, in, we were still playing it in, like, 2000. Stuff like that. Also, another game is um, is a uh, Melty Blood um, at Cadenza. That's a that's a really niche Japanese fighting game that's on PC only. It's still alive today. People are so passionate about it that they'll play tournaments for this game in a parking lot at a tournament. 
That's happened awesome. multiple times. Like there was one event where there was a fire, where there was a somebody pulled a fire alarm, and the tournament was going on, and they're all like, "Yo, we'll just finish the tournament on our laptops in the parking lot." <laughs> and like, there's a picture of me in the parking lot recording like 40 like anime heads playing this playing this game in a parking lot. It was just really cool. That's awesome. It was just really cool. <laughs> So, um, when you grew up in New York, were you in Queens? Or? So, so, like, so I'm Queens-based. So, so, so it's basically just one long subway ride to Chinatown Fair. Though, yeah, right? so, so I had no need to go to Chinatown Fair back in the day because a lot of the arcades, they were, like, in corner stores, they were, like, in bodegas, stuff like that. Right, so, yeah. I, so I didn't need to go very far. So it was a very unique period where I would get out of school and, like, after school I would walk home. And I'll walk to various pizza places, bowling alleys, bodegas, corner stores that all have these games inside. And it's it's a pretty it's a pretty unique experience, especially compared to now where everybody plays mostly online. It's like um you would always go to your corner store and there would be like a bodega or like hood champion or somebody who's like the best in that particular area. But nobody actually knew who was good because the internet wasn't a thing back then. Yeah. Yeah. I lived uh, I lived in Bridgeport, Connecticut for a while, and there was a pizza place that had a Mortal Kombat machine. Let me guess, you you went to Smiles? No, no, you went to Smiles? No, I, I moved around a lot as a kid. You I know, see. Divorced parents and all that shit, but mm-hmm. um, I we'd already we meaning me and my cousin Scott, we'd already discovered Mortal Kombat and loved it. So I was already good enough at it to at least not be a wide eyed eleven year old and be like, oh, what's this? I would ne- could never, I was never good enough to compete or anything. But did you? Did, that was did, that was exactly what you you described. You walk out of your house, go up a couple blocks, you go to the pizza place. You have your pocket full of quarters. You annoy the shit out of the guy yep. working the register because he doesn't yep. have enough quarters for the game. <laughs> yep. And then, and then, like I always, have, I would always have stuff printed out from Game Facts showing the move list and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, so, so I would go to the library on your dot matrix yeah. printer. Yeah. So, so I would go to the library and, and use their printer, and then I have like the whole. Whenever a new arcade game would come out, I would have like the whole like a uh, move set mm-hmm. printed out like ready, right? And then everybody would always ask me at the arcade like, "Yo, how do you do this move? How do you do that move?" And then I would, like I would have like the printed guide right there showing the uh, list of moves. Yeah, that stuff's awesome. Yeah, we um the extent the extent of our arcade experiences because for a while I lived in the middle of the woods, so you know every Saturday the family would get in the car. I lived with my uncle at that point mm-hmm. uh, and my a different cousin Nick. We would always go with my little brother and there was, I think it was called Time Out in the Danbury. Mall. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. and it, it was very cool. That was the first time. I mean. You know, uh, video games have gotten amazing and, you know, ex- exponentially better. Absolutely. But there is no feeling that describes how you feel when you're a kid and you get inside an afterburner arcade. Oh, my God. And you it's turn incredible. left the whole thing. It's still a cheesy game. It's still, you play it for five minutes. You don't play it for hours, but... Mm-hmm. On that uh, on, on that note, have you ever been to Galloping Ghost Arcade in Chicago? No. They, they, they have, like, a stand-up afterburner and they have, like, a stand-up, like, a lot of cabinets. Well, there's a couple of yeah. stand-up afterburners around here. I'm talking really? about the original sit-down ones. Yeah, no, 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 no way. I'm sorry. I mean the sit-down ones. Oh, Excuse yeah, yeah, Excuse yeah. Me. gotcha. Yeah, so, so like, I was actually able to go there recently, and I was in a sit-down um, afterburner machine, and I was like, wow, this is exactly what I remember in my childhood. Yeah. It was awesome. That game's awesome. I love that game. Kill five minutes at a time. I mean, that's the, you know, when I eventually did get an arcade machine at my house and, uh, you know, was able to build a main box into it, mm-hmm. being able to go through all the games that I used to play and just beat them, you know, with infinite quarters, it was not the same. No, no. Because it's not it's about not the same. beating the game. It's about that five-minute yes. experience. Yeah, you know? yeah, no, so. it, definitely, it definitely is, like, about the five-minute experience. And 
there's definitely something to be said for that because you know during the arcade era when you would you were spending your own money so yeah. uh, so it's like you know you commonly had to quarter up you had to put your quarter up mm-hmm. and because you're spending money there's more of an investment to like not mm-hmm. step your shit up basically and yeah. if you go the other I mean nowadays you just google like you know top 10 whatever but a lot of the games that I discovered were because there was a line yes. at the other games. So it's like, all right, you know, my, my parents said that I only have 10 minutes left. What game is there not a line on? And I discovered so many cool games that I probably wouldn't have gone to just because they weren't as flashy or crazy, you know, with the 90s paint jobs on the yeah, side and shit of course. like that. But yeah, I loved all that stuff. And it's just... Uh, did you ever go to any of the nickel arcades? What, did you have any of those around you? We did not. Oh man, you missed out on that. Like there was a, there was these nickel arcades on the West Coast I used to go to called Wonderland, and it's like you would pay like five dollars to enter, but everything would be like five ten cents. So it's mm-hmm. like you definitely get your money's worth. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think the biggest difference, though, between I mean, by far the biggest difference between then and now is we talk. You know, we're talking very fondly of these memories, but mm-hmm. um, if people want to be a part of this, because I mean, a lot of times I would go there with my cousins and yeah. you know. Whoever was winning, we'd all be crowding around them and watching them play. And like now, this is something that anybody could just log into and enjoy. You know, and, and for me, like I mean, I, I absolutely love soccer and football. Mm-hmm. Football, football is my thing, though. Clearly, mm-hmm. look at me. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> like uh, I do have a passion for a lot of these things, and just being able, because you know, so many of us, it's so hard to you know get out and go places sometimes, especially if you live far away. Absolutely. So it's like. To be able to log in and watch these streams is pretty exciting. I mean, yeah, like I'm, I mean, it's incredible, man. Like you know, some of the aftermarket hardware that's come out of the retro retro scene has been really amazing. And with a lot of the, without like a lot of that equipment, I wouldn't be able to broadcast some of the stuff at such a high quality because yeah. like because the products weren't around back then. Like you know, things like the OSSC, FrameMeister, GSCAR Lite, like all those things are like really amazing. They yeah, you know, I talk to those guys, uh, Super G more than Marcus, but I talk to them on a regular basis. And, you know, when they invented these things, I'm pretty sure they had one idea in mind, and I don't think they realized. Um, they didn't realize how, how yeah. awesome, how, what a, a massive game changing difference it would possibly be. You know, you have everything, you got your G-SCART with your dual outputs, then you can get one to the OSSC, so you have one out for streaming, the other one out to your monitor. It's like, incredible. Yeah. I don't think they real. Um, I don't think that they realized when they made these devices how in demand they would be for people that play arcade stuff and people that stream, yeah. and like how mind blowing it is because it's literally converting an analog like a sig- signal to a digital with like yeah. no quality loss. That's incredible. Even the setup I have here to do this five years ago would be impossible. So I have um, my couple of my favorite consoles plugged into the G SCART, the original three, well the three point four, not the original. Um, and then that the SCART output goes to the OSSC. The output of that goes through an HDMI splitter, one into some junky TV, and the other one into my capture card. And then the VGA output goes to just BNC. Yep. So that you could roll over any monitor you want. So, I mean, these devices just allow you to do everything. And it, it, I, changing home gaming was something I think everybody knew. Yeah. But the, the fact that you could take that to a different level and you could actually... I, I'm going to get footage on Saturday, but, I mean, to have two people head-to-head gaming against each other. And then oh, to see yeah. it on a big screen behind them so you don't have to be oh, up, yeah. up in their shit... And then also for people at home to be logged in and watching it. It's oh, yeah. It's incredible. That's the thing. Like, head-to-head, like, is really, like, 
it's an authentic and unique experience and it's literally something like you know until the last 10 years or so it's literally something that you can only experience in japan yeah. there's really something to be said like about having like your own machine right where you can sit down and nobody's bumping you because like in the u.s arcades we're always playing side by side we're super crunched up and then when i went to japan for the first time in 2006 that shit blew my mind I was like, wait, you guys have your own machine that you can play on? So you get a smoke and, like, drink, like, whatever, and then nobody will bother you? Like, it's it's really that, incredible. That, it's really... When I first saw that, um, mm-hmm. I, I think the first time I actually saw that was at that, uh, it was either at that tournament or the week before when Jose was getting it ready. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, I put on some pounds this year, but I'm always this wise. Yeah. Since I was you need 15. Space. You need space. Right? So when I'm trying to play Mortal Kombat, my you, elbow you, goes yeah, out. Elbow you know, always bump. Yes. Yeah, I knock elbow somebody out. And, like, I feel like an asshole, but like, you know, skinny, fat, whatever. Like, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't game like this. You know no, what I mean? No, you can't, you can't. So being able to have, you know, each person has their own side, it, that alone was mind-blowing to me. I had honestly never seen yeah, that. Yeah, and, and, and then in Japan, it's they're, all like that. What are they called? Are they called head-to-heads or So they're called, they're called head-to-heads, but the one the ones we were playing on were uh, specific Sega candy cabinets. Okay. That, that's why you hear candy cab a lot because um, those are the most popular um, arcade cabinets outside of Japan that I get around. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. But in Japan, oh. they have they have all this stuff all day. Oh yeah. So, so, all right. Well, sorry about that, guys. So uh, as as anybody who watches the podcast knows. Um, the only way I could actually afford to have an office uh, in New York City is having an office in the back of a warehouse in another office. So uh, we just get interrupted because my dumbass forgot to put the recording in progress mm. sign on. So sorry for the interruption. Yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah no, it's all good, man. I definitely understand the struggle, man. Like, you know, me being in New York City, you know, trying to make gaming work yeah. like, oh, as a business, it's very difficult. Yeah, so you know, I got I got two things to say about that. Now that I've because I've always visited, this is the first time I've lived in New York yeah. City. And the first thing is, I used to get so many people emailing me saying, you know, hey man, you know, I, I make good money, uh-huh. I can afford a BVM, but I don't have any room in my apartment for that shit. That's when you know you start talking about upscalers and living, you know, living in an apartment not much bigger than this has certainly really burned that into my brain. But yep. the other side of that. And I never, like, I knew people say it, but you don't know unless you experience it, is that I would have never met half the people that I, I talk to on a regular basis now if I didn't live right in the middle of it. Yeah, that's the thing. You know? Like, it, even though New York's, like, expensive, it's definitely, like, one of the meccas. And you, you'll meet people here that, like, you won't meet, like, anywhere else. And, like, some of them become lifelong friends. Like, you know, like, um, just as an example, like, you know, guys like uh, iFix Retro, which constantly mods your stuff. That's a guy I've yeah. known. That's a guy I've known for like ten years. You know, just playing Street Fighter and stuff. And like back then, like you know, he wasn't known like as the mod as the mod RGB guy. He was just a guy that just came through and modded our case stick. So yeah, it's awesome that he stepped up to that level. Yeah, and it's funny too because although I've made a lot of friends online, and then when you meet them in person, they're the exact same. Renee mm-hmm. from DB Electronics. I've talked to him for years. The first time we met, we walked over, grabbed a beer. It was mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but it is a little bit different, you know, when you sit here and you can talk to somebody face to face and, you know, you tell right away who's real and who's not. You know absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. There, there yeah, is no absolutely. grace period. You tell nope. immediately. Mm-hmm. And it was just, I don't know. I, I'm very lucky that I get to do this. I, you know, I very often think like, well, what if I go move to the middle of the mountains and buy a house Dude. for $10,000 and I could afford to do this for a living? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I mean. You wouldn't get the connects like you would over here. And that's one of the reasons why like I don't leave New York. Like I, I kind of love this place and like 
Yeah. The, the, the connects that I've met over my past 20 years of gaming have been out of control. And and plus, now you're here. The, the, the RGB godfather. <laughs> like, how awesome is that? Yeah, well, <laughs> awesome. I, I do love that I get to be a part of this. And it's cool that uh, I fix retros right down the street, you know, comparatively speaking. And uh, uh-huh. I'm now I'm going to start going to all these events that I genuinely enjoy going to. Yeah, it's cool. Like, I'm, I'm really glad. I'm really glad you're going to be coming to uh, this uh, Tool Too Furious. Yeah, so before we go, um, I probably should have mentioned this 20 times already, but um, this Saturday, so the uh, 22nd. Yeah, the, no, this Saturday on the 22nd, um, we're going to be next having... next level, the yeah. place that we talked about that actually has parking. Yeah. Um, and that is... What time does it start? So it starts at... So, like, I want to say it starts at 2 p.m., I'm gonna I'm gonna double okay. check just to be sure, but I believe so, it does start at two PM. For anybody that just wants to watch it, so maybe this is gonna be your you know, your first entry into fighting tournaments or something, you kinda just wanna see what's up. Um, it's Team Spooky's Twitch channel is going to be streaming it live, right? Yeah, twitch.tv forward slash Team Spooky. Spooky with two zeros oh. instead of O's in the Spooky. I'm sorry, it's um it's Saturday at uh, 5 p.m. At 5 p.m. Saturday. Yeah. And so, just, no, I'll say, go ahead. The only thing that I'll say is that if I had seen video of this before actually going, I mean, it's just like going to a, a big concert with, you know, flamethrowers mm-hmm. and lights. You could watch it on TV, but you don't, you don't, it feels different when you're there. So if anybody's curious about this stuff, at the very least, just, um, because you have it uh, on afterwards, so even if uh, yeah. you can't see it live. Yeah. You'll definitely you see know, the VODs on YouTube. You'll see um, the highlight reels and all that stuff, too, I'm sure you guys will put up. So yeah. definitely check that out. But if you're already in the area, I would swing by anyway, just because it's worth it. But Yeah, j- j- just to go over the uh, games lineup real fast. So, the event is called 2OT Furious, so it's all old school fighting games. 2OT Furious, two. I fucking love that name. So, it, it's all <laughs> fighting games in the name number two. So, at, at this event, um, the games are going to be Ultra Street Fighter 2, so it's going to be the Switch version of the new uh, Street Fighter 2 port. So, that's going to be the first tournament for it that I've seen, so that should be pretty cool. So that so that that's gonna be the only game that's not retro retro. Okay. That's gonna be like the only HD game, and we're gonna have Super Street Fighter Two Turbo, of course. Um, what's really interesting about the Super Street Fighter Two Turbo tournament is that a Japanese legend, um, the best e Honda player in the world named Kusamundo, he's like forty or something. He's coming to our event because he saw like how how much he blew it up at the last one. A lot of Japanese players that watched it online, they saw the feedback. And then they were like, oh man, I really wish I was there. I really wish I was there. But some Japanese players have come up to me directly saying they want to come to School Too Furious because they feel it's the most authentic experience outside of Japan. So that's really an honor. Yeah, what a compliment that that's, is. Man. That's really an honor. So so basically, he's going to be there at School Too Furious. So if you want to see or play the best Honda player in the world in Street Fighter 2, that's going to be the place to be. We're also having a Street Fighter Alpha Two, which it, which is like a pretty interesting game. Like you know, there's a lot of like local talent in the New York fighting game scene for it. And we're also going to have a Street Fighter EX Two Plus, which is um one of the uh, marquee events during Two Two Furious. Um, this game has been getting a lot of attention lately because um recently um Arika, the company that makes this. They're currently crowdfunding a new Street Fighter EX fighting game. Mm-hmm. So they've been seeing our events and stuff, and they were actually at Evolution, and they were talking to me like about how amazing 202 Furious is, and there's going to be like a lot of like comp for that in uh, New York. So that should be pretty interesting. And like I said, it's going down Saturday at uh, 5 p.m. And we also crowdfund the event as well. So hopefully um, the crowdfunding works out, and we can give Kusumundo like a fat pop bonus if he wins. That would be nice. Because, like, the thing is, with Japanese tournaments, they don't play for any money. 
It, it's very different from here. They just play for pride because they can't give away cash prizes in Japan by law. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So that's why like a lot of the Japanese players are so amazed by like what we're doing out here because... My, my last Wolf 2 Furious event that we did, we raised $1,600 for Street Fighter 2, which is literally phenomenal. Yeah. That's literally ph- phenomenal. And we were able to pay out top eight. Damdai won that one. He walked away with like 800 bucks. So all the Japanese gods are sitting there in the Pacific salty. They're like, oh, man, I wish I could be in New York to collect. That's awesome. Well, I'm definitely going to be there. Um, I'm going to try to, my best to, to cover it and do a video on it. Um, yeah, I'm, awesome. I'm not going to get in the fucking way this time. Like it's okay. No, 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 Bob, it's okay. If anything, like I'll say, Bob, come behind come behind the cockpit so you yeah. can see how, away, how it is. Away from the players. I, will, I, I haven't had my heart sink that bad in a long time. When I like, <laughs> I just lightly nudged somebody and I looked over and I realized I'd nudged the dude that was playing in the tournament. <laughs> If that dude got up and punched me in the face, I'd have been like, totally cool, totally, my bad, totally cool. I think but, it was doing casual, so... Yeah, it was So it was all good, and that was a time where, like, I had not met you Yeah, it was the first yet. time we met. That was the first, so, time, uh, the first time we met. Yeah, so this time I'll be on much better behavior, so... But, 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 but yeah, and you guys will see the uh, retro RGB logo at the event displayed prominently. Um, Bob was nice enough to hook it up with, like, OSSC... And uh, G-Scar Light, and that's all equipment that like I need for this event. Like I'm trying, to, I'm trying to um, actually capture four arcade boards at once with uh, OSSCs and uh, BenQs and um, the G-Scar Light. So hopefully it works out. We're trying to break new ground over here. And for all my fellow hardware nerds, don't worry, I'll get video of all of the different hardware setups there, just so you can see it. So yeah, of course. And now, like I think, like more people need to know about this stuff. Like, um, like I said, when I went to West Coast. Everybody was just shouting you out for giving them all the tech info because they're trying to get OSSCs and uh, PVMs and BVMs too. That makes me very happy. Yeah, they, they, awesome. they wouldn't have known about it. They wouldn't have known about it without you. So I'm really glad that the, there's that cross pollination going on. Yeah, I know. We, you know, we, I think we've uh, we've introduced each other to a pretty awesome world that are so similar, mm-hmm. but don't haven't quite crossed paths yet. So exactly. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for doing this, man. I absolutely appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having me. I'll see you guys next week and probably before that with a video about Too Old, Too Furious. So take care, man. Thanks.